You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Community Church. We'll be in Luke chapter 24 today. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. That's who we want to be. We use four values, strive for four values by practicing love with everyone always, giving more than makes sense, chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are, who we want to be. I got a little feedback today that I had my second button button last service, and I was told I need to unbutton the bottom button, so a little concerned with my fashion today. Hopefully, it's okay for you. Just a few things that I want to bring to your attention today. Uh, Next week, we're going to have a core meeting. I'm going to kind of go through some of the things that happened in 2020, kind of give a review of that year. We've kind of held off on that, uh, but we're going to do that next week. Uh, Secondly, I want to bring to your attention that if you have an eighth grader in here, there's a move up Sunday Kind of, well, not a move up, there's a, there's a night of a popcorn, a night of, with movies that on, on April 14th. Um, so if you have an eighth grader in here, just know there's an event you can check out for more details at the middle school or high school areas. Uh, we are launching a, a Bible study about our prayer life. Uh, it's going to be done online and also in person. Kathy Householder and Zach Bedwell are leading and it's for men and women. It's going through a book called Fervent. Um, and if you're interested in that, It's going to head from April 14th all the way to September 1st, and you can sign up and look for information at our desk back there. Uh, Our children's ministry is hosting on a Saturday, April 17th, a little ice cream social. I haven't said that phrase, I don't think, from here, an ice cream social from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., and if you have questions, you can contact Brett, our children's minister. And then lastly, if you have children in here who are four grade and under, you may have wondered about, where do I check in? I know we've had some issues checking in. Just remember, you check your kids in the room. Whatever room you're going to, you can check in all of your kids. And if your kid is that kid, no, I'm not going to say that. If you have a kid and there's issues, maybe he's crying a little bit, uh, there'll be a four-digit code that comes up here to let you know that you need to pick up your kid, all right? Not over here, so just notice here and hope. There's no shame in that because it'll probably be Ellie at some point in here and I'll just leave and I have to get out. No, I won't do that. All right, well, let's head into our scripture for today. We're in Luke 24. We're going to go through verses 1 through 12 and we'll read this together. It'll be on the screen, but join us in your Bibles if you have them. There's joy to be found in these words today. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were there, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we come here today and celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior. But Lord, we also know that we live as if it never happened sometimes. We live as if we are still in chains. And so, Father, forgive us where we are so hesitant to live the resurrected life. Forgive us as we fail to show through our words and our actions the truth that you loved us into a new kingdom through your glorious mystery of the cross. Forgive us that there's still fear in our lives that keeps us from embracing your fullness. Open our eyes to the glory of the risen Christ, our hearts to the wonder of the cross, and our hands to the service of your kingdom wherever you have placed us, that your name might be glorified through our living, that your word and truth be found sufficient in our hearts and minds, and Father, let my words be faithful to your truth. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this through the blood of Christ our Lord. Amen. And so on Sunday morning, these women come to the tomb to prepare the body uh, in a death procession or, or complete the process of the burial. They had put Jesus in the tomb hastily, and so they're bringing spices to complete the process that they would put somebody in the tomb. But there, in that tomb, they noticed that something was missing, that Jesus wasn't there. And they are approached by two men or two angels in dazzling apparel, and they wonder why these women are seeking the dead amongst the living. And then they say words that have changed the course of human history. They tell the woman, he is not here, but he is risen. This is the most fantastic claim that Christians make, that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was dead and then raised from the grave, that there was something in the tomb, but there was then no longer anything in the tomb. To millions upon millions through the course of history, that truth has been the source of strength and hope. Yet to many, many others, it has the cause to question the sanity of Christians. It is the cause to question the other sanity of us, that this would betray the laws of nature in the physical world. Dead things don't come back to life, specifically things that have been dead for three days, they don't come back to life. But as a Christian, we have a second problem with the resurrection. Not only whether it happened or not, but if it did happen 2,000 years ago, does it even matter today? One might ask how an event that took, took place so long ago in a region so far away have relevancy for me today in the 21st century in my time and place. Does it really matter? And so our task today is to convey the utter relevancy of the resurrection, 
not just then, but the up-to-the-moment relevancy of the resurrection of Christ. And so let us come around His truth and His Word, not as consumer of media, looking for bits of inspiration, but let us be hearers of the Word, that His Word might hedge in around us His truth for deeper joy and living in the Spirit. The resurrection resonates with the human condition. It speaks to the human condition. It speaks for our need for forgiveness. It speaks to our need for wholeness. It speaks for our need of hope in this life. The early Christians, the early church, would have had no doubt that the resurrection took place. And not only that, they had no doubt of its enormous significance. So central was the message of the resurrection that Luke, the author of the gospel that we just read, this physician historian, writes another book called the Book of Acts, which is the church history book. And in that book, in that book of the Acts, Jesus, or, or, or excuse me, Luke, talks about two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and he describes them as preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And then the Apostle Paul, he's in ancient Rome talking to philosophers in Athens who are rude to him, who consider him to be a badly behaved child, and they're ridiculing him because he is proclaiming Jesus and his resurrection. And to surmise his argument, this is what Paul says. He says, I pass on to you of the first importance that which I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and he was seen. And so the resurrection of Jesus is the very core, the very heart, the very center of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we go any further, I think it be important, maybe even elementary to define what we're talking about when we say resurrection. We are not talking about Jesus being alive to the degree that a person who has influence or significance that one might say, well, he is dead now, but his spirit lives on. This isn't some sort of resurrection of ideas and wisdom that even though this person is gone, that his spirit lives on in others. Many of the civil rights leaders in the 1960s knew that the worthiness of their cause would ultimately put their lives in jeopardy, and they were willing to die for their convictions. But unbeknownst to the the murderers of those people, it did not stifle their cause. It emboldened it. Their courage and willingness to die for what they believed in hardened the resolve of others and enlighten the convictions of many more. And so in their giving of life, in their martyrdom, in some sense it fuels a resurrection amongst others to greater conviction and greater passion. And certainly that is true of the early church. Many are martyred for the faith. And it is through the death of the saints that the church explodes throughout the world. But this today in this resurrection is not the sort of death and living that is conveyed in those examples. Jesus did not die on to die to live on in spirit, nor is his resurrection about resuscitation, meaning that he had died and then he was brought back to life only to die again. The claim 
that Christ is risen isn't a declaration that he was brought back to life through human hands as if somebody revives somebody who drowns or even through divine intervention that rescued Jesus from a near-death experience. There was a man named Lazarus that we read about in Scripture who was brought back to, from death into life by Christ from death into living, resuscitated from the grip of death, only to live a little bit longer and then die again. We are not here today talking about Christ's survival, nor about his resuscitation, but about his resurrection, that God performed a sovereign act which reversed the process of decay and decomposition that set free Christ from the realm of death and transformed his body anew with new power never to die again. Never to die again. This isn't being resuscitated from the grave only for a brief time, but resurrected never to die again. He is not here. He is risen. That is something that never has happened before and is yet to happen again. But yet as Christians, we face this second issue to consider. Does this resurrection matter? Does it have any sort of significance for my living today. If he raised from the dead, so what? What does that mean? Well, let me give you three suggestions on why he is not here. He is risen. Has immense importance, not just then, but to us today. The first is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us of God's forgiveness. He is not here. He is risen. Offers humanity the hope of forgiveness. Consider how our lives might look different if we truly embraced forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. How many relationships would be reconciled in our lives if we deeply understood how deeply God has forgiven us? If we knew forgiveness, wouldn't it change our lives? I think it's true of all of us in here that we have one or two skeletons in our closet, something we said or something we've done or thought, that on our best day we would be ashamed of. Our conscience nags us, torments us, condemns us at times. Mark Twain, the great American author, once said that man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. We are ashamed, are we not? the things that we've done in our past. And nobody is free who is unforgiven. And instead of being able to look God in the face or to look at others in the face or even in the mirror to look at ourselves in the face, we at times run and hide because our soul is in trouble. But the good news of Jesus begins with the assurance of forgiveness with God. You know, several times in Jesus' public ministry, he says that your sins have been forgiven. And in the upper room, the night before he died, he takes the cup of blessing and says that this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. He linked our forgiveness with his dying. He links our forgiveness with his dying he taught us that he was going to die, 
that he was going to bury with him our sin, our guilt, our condemnation in his own self in order that we might be forgiven. But here's the question. How do we know that what Jesus taught us happened? How do we know that he indeed died for our forgiveness, that he was right, he was telling the truth? How do we know whether his death achieved what he said it was going to achieve? How do we know that God accepted this perfect, sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world? Would we ever know Jesus and his forgiveness if he had remained dead? If he never had been raised from the dead, we would not know if his death would be effective. If he remained dead, it would be true that his death would be a failure. That he didn't secure by his death the things that he said. Now consider this. We are in tax season. And as you have done your taxes and your diligent accounting, you have found that you have a significant refund. I hope that's true for all of you. Or, or maybe you're like me and use something like TurboTax. And you input your income numbers like a toddler trying to build a giant tower. You just hope by the end of it it's all going to hold together. And I'm going to take this. But regardless... All of your labors, all of your calculating would be in vain if what? If you didn't get a check in the mail. If you hadn't had a deposit in your checking account. It is one thing to hear and read that you're having a return or a refund. It is another thing to have it validated and it's coming back to you. How would we know that we have forgiveness if Christ had remained dead? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But Paul went on to say, indeed, that Christ has been raised from the dead. And by raising him, God assures us that he approves what Jesus has done on the cross and that his death was not in vain. His death is the grounds in which God brings humanity forgiveness for our sins and gives us new life. The resurrection validates the death of Jesus. It assures us of God's forgiveness. Is that not great news for us today? That you can be forgiven. That you can't no longer be tormented by your soul. That the resurrection brings us forgiveness, not just for the small things that we deem forgivable, but for all of the skeletons in our closet that the blood of Christ and his resurrection can forgive those things. And the second reason that the resurrection matters is because it, through Christ, assures us of God's power in our living. You know, in this journey, I've come to realize, and maybe you have realized this too, that I need more than forgiveness for my sins. I need power in my present living. And so how would you answer this question? Rhetorical. You don't have to answer it. Do you believe that people can change? Is it possible... In our time and place in history, there is, in a general sense, a belief that people can't change. 
that once you mess up or make a mistake, you are deemed spoiled goods for the rest of your life. Is there not, if we're honest, in our hearts, an ugly desire within us that secretly wishes for dirt, that we can guilt and shame those who disagree with us, who have hurt us, that we might justify why they are so bad? Do we really believe that God can change the human condition if we don't believe that people can change? Is it possible that selfish people can be made selfless? Is it possible that immoral people can be given self-control? Is it possible that cruel people can find kindness in their hearts? That sour can be sweetened? Wouldn't it be marvelous if that is possible? Today in these words, he is not here. He is risen we are reminded that God has the power to change the human condition and the human heart and the human behavior. He has the power to transform us into the image of His Son to make us like Christ. But more than changing our hearts and more than changing our minds and more than changing our behavior, Jesus Christ's resurrection says that the dead things in us can come back to life. Maybe you're in here today and you think the resurrection of Christ is utter fantasy that it's in the realm of mythology. You are closed off to anything spiritual, anything in the reality of spirit that is outside of what you can touch or understand. You're dead to it. You're closed off to it. You're unaware of its presence. Is it possible for God to make you alive spiritually, that you are aware of his presence and his peace? And the answer in the resurrection is yes and amen in Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, his heart. Listen to his heart to this church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is immeasurable, his, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Dead things can come back to life in Christ. The eyes of our hearts can be opened and we can see a hope and inheritance that we never knew was there. The resurrection of Christ is the supreme evidence of the power of God in the history of mankind. And the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, He uses and is available for us today. He can raise us from a life of death and sin into a life of righteousness. He can raise us from a, a life of death and alienation to a life of fellowship and communion with God. And I'm not talking about the kind of change that one would communicate as somebody turning a new leaf, somebody coming somewhat religious or dressing nicer or looking or behaving sort of be better. Not the sort of change where one can scratch the surface and still reveal in us our pagan desires underneath where no real change has happened. The resurrection has a power more radiant than that. Our scriptures reveal that being a Christian is something more radical than that. Radical because it means that Christ has targeted the very core of human existence, the heart, the intellectual, emotional will of humanity. That that is his target. The very root of humanity. 
being a Christian is nothing less than a resurrection from spiritual death and the beginning of new life through the power of the resurrection. In the same way that God raised Christ from the grave, by that same power, He can raise us from the grave because He can change us. Because He changed Christ, He was dead and made alive. So first, the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us of God's forgiveness. Secondly, the resurrection ensures us of God's power in our living. And thirdly, His resurrection assures us that we will stand with God in eternity in His triumphal victory. At the end of history, we will stand with our risen Savior in triumph. You know, the great difference in the religions of the world is their concern of the afterlife. Is there any hope after this life? Is there any future? There are some who offer no hope. Bertrand Russell, who's a British philosopher, once said that when I die, I believe I shall rot, and that is it. And then he went on to say that all the labors of the ages, the inspiration, the noonday brightness of human genius are destined for extinction. The whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried in the debris of a universe in ruins. In other words, there is nothing to hope for in the future. There is nothing to look forward to. There are many who have no hope for the future. There are many who believe there's nothing to look forward to. Others think of history not as a straight line from your birth to your death, this climax of living. They see it as an endless circle of different reincarnations where there is no escape except for extinction. But I want to tell you that as Christians, on the other hand, we are confident that Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of history and in, not in humility and weakness, and weakness like he did in his coming, but he will come with stupendous power and utter splendor. The second coming of Christ will be beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. He will come with power and glory and when he comes, he will bring the end of history and he will raise the dead and he will regenerate the universe and he will make everything new. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look in our culture, in our world, and in ourselves and see that the world is on fire, that there is something off. Our scriptures say it is a groaning that comes from decay and death, and it is our belief as Christians that one day this creation will be liberated into freedom, that the groans of nature, as Paul writes, at this moment resemble birth pains, Birth pains of a new order, a new world that is being born, and we sense its groaning and we feel its pain. There is going to be a new heaven. There is going to be a new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. And peace will be ever, ever, forever present. And on that day, we shall be a new people with a new body in a new world. And you might ask, what evidence do I have for such a spectacular assertion? That the universe will be reborn and we will be resurrected along with it. Well, the evidence is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It is the guarantee of the resurrection of our bodies, the regeneration of the universe, because the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of taking what is old and making it new. The resurrection is the beginning of redemption and wholeness in the material world, and it is the promise that all of this world will follow in its newness. It will be made new and redeemed. So let us conclude this way. The resurrection has relevance for you today. It is not something old that just gets talked about. It has extreme relevance for you and I today because it is the good news that reveals to us that God forgives our sins. It is the good news that assures us of resurrection power that we can call upon in our lives not for mere behavioral modification, but for grace-driven change at the core of our hearts, rooted in the peace of Christ that was secured for us in our sins. And lastly, the good news of the resurrection assures us of God's ultimate triumph in the end, that there will be a day that we have new bodies in a regenerated world. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And we celebrate this wonderful phrase. He's not here, but he is risen. And we celebrate it because it speaks to the very core of our needs. Humanity's need for forgiveness in Christ, for the power of Christ that overcomes our brokenness and makes us whole, and a hope in Christ that new is breaking in and the old things are passing away. And there will be a day in which we stand in triumph with him throughout eternity. Don't let this just be inspiration for your day. But let this be the cause of your joy today and your peace forever. Let the resurrection of Christ fence you in on all sides of his glory and power and splendor. He's not here. He's risen. Would you pray with me? Father, on this day, we desire, Lord, that just as you are remaking this world and we feel it in these labor pains of your new order breaking through, that we would, through our poverty and spirit and our mourning and our meekness, receive that remaking in our own hearts and lives. That, Lord, just as you reclaim creation in your resurrection, that you would reclaim our hearts and in your minds, and our minds by the same power. Father, we pray that you would destroy and reverse what is rotting and decaying in us and bring to us new life through your resurrection. Let us abide in your presence. And in our abiding, give to us your children resurrected joy in this resurrected life. And, Father, in this land of the in-between that we live from your going to the day that you come back where death and sin still reign. Let our lives be the flavor of your kingdom breaking through. To us and to the world, let your forgiveness find us and restore us. Your power be known and reveal the hope we have in your triumph that gives us the perseverance to bring honor and glory to you in these brief moments of our living. Father, we are grateful for the relevancy of your resurrection today. And we pray this in the power of Christ. 
Amen.